Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And getting pulled up by the boss to dance on stage, I'm Courtney Cox. Well, at least it was the boss. <laughs> Donald Trump apparently has been <clears throat> using his music from time to time at some of these uh, events that are getting stranger and stranger. Yeah, sometimes musicians will and, put a, a cease you know, and desist. He, out has denounced the boss has denounced trump uh to give him his 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 props uh springsteen uh has put himself to noble causes uh politically speaking there Uh, are some that that particular record's a little overproduced but uh his heart's in the right place and his woody guthrie uh sort of uh revival uh was welcomed and uh, well i was lucky to have seen him not uh, a slight on, on sort of before born in the USA when he still yeah. had Clarence, when yeah. he was still doing really really good stuff. Uh, well, those legendary live shows, yeah, that were super long. Anyway, pretty amazing week. You know, we get the uh, Merrick, and that's a very interesting name, Merrick Garland appointment to the Supreme Court. Sounds like a character from a 19th century novel. Yeah, like a, something by Melville or something. In fact, there was a famous uh, Civil War uh, naval battle and that didn't involve Merrick, but it involved the Merrimack. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, very interesting that Obama would make that announcement the day after uh, Mini Super Tuesday. I don't think he wanted to affect the outcome of Super Tuesday, uh, and I don't think he did. <laughs> But uh, obviously, uh, we'll give out a brain damage award to Mitch McConnell. Uh, It's pretty outrageous that uh, he's sort of backed himself into a corner, and he's not going to come out of it. He's still the groundhog sitting in his hole uh, (laughs) and misstating historical facts. Obama is not a lame duck president. A lame duck president is after the November elections, Uh, and you're not elected president for seven years, you're elected president for eight years. Right. And the sudden unexpected death of Fanton and Scalia is just the way the cookie crumbles. The idea that this is a Republican Supreme Court seat is ridiculous. And of course, Merrick Garland, uh, not to be f- confused with Hamlin Garland, <laughs> famous American short story, novella type um, is just you couldn't find anybody more qualified. I mean, it's remarkable to see some dumb white men discriminating against an overly qualified white man. And McConnell's obstructionism is showing some cracks because uh, this will be a major campaign issue uh, if the obstructionism continues. And uh, I don't get it. I don't. Well, as what, we've noted before, it's a refusal to do the work that yeah. you've signed on to do. Precisely. And, and we uphold the Constitution. There are 
things that have to be done. It's right. it's a job, right? So you don't want to cook the omelet. Uh, well, I, the know, refusal or to break do... the eggs to cook the omelet. Right. Um, I mean, there is also a, a political cost, not just in you know the increasing likelihood that you're seen for what you are is simply you know recalcitrant. You know, ref- absolutely refusing to uh, to proceed with the business at hand, but uh, the likelihood that it's going to affect uh, the way the court performs, and we've already seen a number of cases, sort of uh, corporate law matters, uh, scandals, and uh, financial ripoffs. Decide, well, let's settle and uh, not go before the court. Yeah, yeah. It was it was noted uh, that. Uh... Some environmental-related cases have already been affected by this. Just and, in case. You know, I mean, the, the, the other mysterious thing about uh, McConnell's position that's so outrageous is that it doesn't help the conservatives. Right. Scalia was a conservative vote. It's not there anymore. I don't know if this guy can do math or not. Um, he's uh, famous for obstructionism and his obstructionism continues well and should it raises the question too i don't know if they've been asked this uh, point blank but uh should hillary clinton or bernie sanders for that matter be uh, elected the next president of the united states will they refuse to hear a nominee from them sure well maybe the democrats should just say well we'll, we'll wait till the next election uh if the republicans win well, let the voters decide. I mean, the whole thing is ludicrous. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, stand any scrutiny, uh, rational scrutiny, but it will. Uh, we'll see how long it takes for McConnell to fold. Uh, Charles Grassley, by the way, the uh, judiciary chairman, is already suffering politically because of this. Uh, he's targeted for re-election. Mm. Why somebody that's going to be 83 next year is running for re-election is unclear to me but uh, such as america well strom thurmond uh yeah held the uh rod of power for well into his uh ninth decade his orange hair was uh, quite memorable he started looking like bozo the clown and started performing like him as well unfortunately he wasn't quite as entertaining <laughs> Uh, let's give out a brain damage award to Donald Trump. Um, his statements, you know, we can parse these for weeks on end. But when I read that he stated uh, regarding the situation with the Mexican border, and by the way, I, the, one of the reasons I mentioned this is that the Arizona primary is tomorrow. Winner take all for the Republicans. So this is going to be another key, you know, is there really a Donald Trump? stop Donald Trump movement alive and well in the GOP or not. Uh, Let's remember that these uh, results from last Tuesday, Trump didn't get more than 40% in any of those states except Florida, where Marco Rubio, as predicted, (laughs) did not carry Florida. He was singing poor, poor, pitiful me the next day. (laughs) He didn't even get 30% of the vote. But Trump had some home field advantages in Florida that uh, are connected with his business. Uh, But when he said, apparently, regarding the Mexican uh, situation, he said, when I rejuvenate our military, Mexico won't be playing with us with war. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) 
There's several huhs in that statement. You're kind of like, what are you talking about? And this is Donald Trump at his... Rejuvenate uh, is one of the puzzles I have there. Yeah. Uh, the facts are the United States spends more money on the military than the rest of the industrialized world combined. And has for decades. And hence, it has overreached in numerous parts of the globe repeatedly. Still hasn't learned even the basic lessons of Vietnam. And I'm a little unclear why he would even be mentioning war with Mexico. What Mexico isn't going to attack the United States. I mean, is this man He's a lunatic? A preemptive attack on Mexico um, to compel them to build a wall. Are they going to Surely. invade to take Texas back? We annexed Texas, technically. And several kick, other states. Kick them out. <laughs> Give it back to Mexico, as far as I'm concerned. Of course, building a wall around Texas would be uh, prohibitively expensive. But, uh, yeah, that's Trump for you. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, by the way, he mentioned uh, the Smoot-Hawley bill. He's uh, Him and Bernie are on the same page on the free trade uh, issue, which is a, something that is a substantive issue that is worthy of uh, political debate in our country. Uh, by the way, there's simply no evidence that NAFTA has ever cost American jobs. Um, NAFTA just reduced tariffs. We buy oil from Mexico. We buy limes, avocados. Trump apparently wants to impose a 35% tariff on these products. So where are we going to get the oil from? I guess Saudi Arabia. So it's a... Venezuela. It doesn't... You know, many of Trump's ideas have not been well thought out. Uh, it's quite obvious that it's he's thinking on the fly. Yeah, he he blurts things out and, uh, you know, shock value. Sometimes I think he's surprised with what he says. Hey, look what I said. Right. I stand by it anyway. I won't backtrack. I won't admit that I'm wrong. I'm a megalomaniac. He tones it down sometimes, yeah. as I'm sure he probably did today while speaking to APAC. I haven't heard any of the reports from that. But, he's uh, speaking tonight. He has not, he's been making the rounds in Washington. Apparently, he has had a variety of meetings uh, with some congressmen uh, regarding the future of the Stop Donald Trump movement within the Republican Party that's still kind of a disorganized mess. Um. Mitt Romney, by the way, has uh, announced that he's going to vote for Ted Cruz. Last week he was campaigning with John Kasich in Ohio, and that paid off. John Kasich delivered. Uh, this was a winner-take-all situation in Ohio. And I just wanted to make one other observation regarding the primaries. We've had, you know, we had Super Tuesday several weeks ago, and last week was mini Super Tuesday. We had five major states vote. Yeah. Hillary Clinton crushed Bernie Sanders. That's what happened. Uh, Missouri was close. Ohio was even somewhat close. But when you get beat in Florida by almost two to one, you were crushed. And Florida is the third biggest state. And that margin was similar to what Hillary Clinton did in Texas. She was better with crushed. older voters and they're more consistent voters yeah. than younger voters. Although it's great to see the enthusiasm of the youth vote. Uh, there's some serious number. We're talking about the demographic 
shift here where the baby boom is, you know, well into its uh, aging process. Yeah. And uh, those people are going to vote Hillary. And Bernie has, you know, his, he's got his legitimate uh, issues that, that are working uh, better with younger voters. But um, Hillary Clinton is portrayed in the media so negatively that the press coverage of her sometimes borders on misogynist. They're always looking for what she didn't quite do well enough. And you're kind of like, but wait a minute, on Super Tuesday, she had the best night of any of the candidates, including Donald Trump. She won Texas. She crushed Bernie Sanders in Texas. Her and Trump won all the same states, except Trump won Vermont. On the Republican side, Bernie won Vermont. Texas is bigger than Vermont by a magnitude of about 30 million. I was going to say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, the, the actual political science here, the media likes the contest. They like to stick to their narrative. And, yes, Bernie is doing well with young voters. But Hillary Clinton is winning Hispanics, African Americans, and women, except women under 30. And in Florida, if you go back and you actually look at the data, she almost even beat Bernie in that demographic. So, you know, let's start reporting the truth about what's really going on here. Trump is, there's a little shine going off some of his wins. He's not winning with huge margins. But the problem is, is that the Republicans have this idiosyncratic system where every state has different ground rules. And, you know, when you have Ohio be a winner-take-all, Florida be a winner-take-all, and tomorrow Arizona, I guess, you're going to have very skewed results. And it's kind of difficult to root for Ted Cruz. For lots of reasons, of course. <laughs> yeah. And for people of all sides of the political spectrum. But should he pull off an upset in Arizona, and it's not out of the realm of possibility, he, he's, uh, he's as extreme on immigration as <laughs> Trump. Um, Sheriff Arpaio, another mindless wonder in America, of course, is now campaigning with Donald Trump. Sarah Palin has been cast aside once again. And Chris Christie, I'm not too sure what he's doing. He's not been seen for a little bit. <laughs> um, well, speaking about the sort of shine coming off a little bit of uh, Trump's wins, uh, Stephen Henderson in a column uh, from last week's uh, Free Press of March 18th has uh, some numbers here uh, referring to an exit poll taken by a ABC News on the the big Tuesday vote last week, uh, in which 27% uh, of Republican voters said they would not vote for Trump if he is indeed the nominee. That same poll found equally weak numbers of support for the other candidates. 23% would not vote for Cruz. 25% would pass on Rubio. And 26% wouldn't vote for Kasich. So anyone, uh, whoever the, you know, anyone but Trump candidate ends up being, and it's almost like the uh, Republicans want to uh, have an offshoot of their party and have a, uh, like the Simpsons episode with the stonecutters, a, a no homers wing. Uh, anybody but Trump really becomes a no homer club. 
because none of these candidates are really that salable. Right. And the attempt by the Republican Party to distance themselves from the extreme, what they call the extreme rhetoric of Trump, is also a farce and a fraud because they've been trafficking in that same lexicon for a number of years. Sure. And, and when the Tea Party movement began to erupt uh, f for no other real reason other than racism, this idea that, you know, Caucasian Americans are somehow hurting under Obama is not supported by any data. In fact, if anybody's got real grievances about the economic performance under Obama, it would actually be African Americans if you want to look up the facts. Um, but facts seem to get in the way of politics and, quote, winning. Uh, one of the things that I hate about Donald Trump is he keeps talking about winning, winning, winning. I'm a unifier. I'm a winner. Vote for me. I'm a winner. Uh, well, you're not. You're a, you're a loser, dude. You're a pathetic human being. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with the Republican Party. It's obviously in... Which Republican Party right. is going to emerge here? It's radioactive. It's got a half-life. I don't know which part of the element is decaying or how it's going to uh, work out. I mean, Kasich is a perfectly reasonable, moderate, he's not even moderate, but he's mainstream Republican. And the only reason that I would think that Kasich would be in a position like, you know, 24% won't vote for him, is those are the Trump people, because he's yeah. one of the people that's consistently, from the beginning, from the beginning yeah. been questioning the rationality of some of Trump's absolutely outrageous proposals. One of the most annoying things to me about the way the media is continuing to stick to its narrative is it continues to have these polls that suggest that Donald Trump is, quote, telling it like it is. And I'm like, no, he isn't. Hillary Clinton is telling it like it is. Donald Trump is telling it like he wished it was or wished it could be. And his his concepts are incoherent. Um, you know, you can have a legitimate tr argument about, quote, free trade agreements. Um, but if you start running against the 20th century and want to kind of go back to the 19th century on free trade and impose the high tariff again, <laughs> you're, you're, you're out of sync with what's going on in global economics. Uh, you might be able to make real estate deals. I don't know. Your books have not been shown very well to the public regarding all your bankruptcies. So I don't know what Donald Trump's real economic agenda is. But it is becoming quite clear to me that he is trying to take a kind of irrational uh, viewpoint on economics and combine it with kind of a left-wing attack on American foreign policy. I think it's pretty obvious why he's doing this. He thinks he can now get Bernie Sanders' voters to vote for him. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to watch how Trump moves forward, if we can even use that expression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little early to tell whether slithers or crawls yeah. or dangles or uh, lurks. Uh, 
Well, when you're bringing the Ku Klux Klan and the John Birch Society and the likes of David Duke out of the cold, out from the cold, and bringing them into the, quote, big tent, and then suggesting that this is good for the Republican Party, as Trump has done, uh, it, it's somewhat strange. Uh, there's, I've got a couple of passages uh, I've been talking the last couple of weeks about. Uh, it's every presidential cycle I reread, Hunter Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. Yes. And uh, it's the, the prose style is great. The polit- uh, political analysis is uh, top-notch. It's a very funny book, but also still has things to say about the process today, even though it's changed quite a bit. But I want to read a little passage here from page 111. Uh because it's strangely uh, applicable to uh, today. Uh, He writes, The main problem in any democracy is that crowd-pleasers are generally brainless swine who can go out on stage and whoop their supporters into an orgiastic frenzy, then go back to the office and sell every one of the poor bastards down the tube for a nickel apiece. Probably the rarest form of life in American politics is the man who can turn on a crowd and still keep his head straight, assuming it was straight in the first place. He goes on to talk about how, well, part of McGovern's problem is is that he's not charismatic. He doesn't seem to—he's better in smaller crowds than with a large sure. uh, crowd. And it uh, says uh, to uh, make it to this next level, McGovern would need at least one dark, kinky streak of Mick Jagger in his soul. <laughs> and although I hate to disparage Mick Jagger's good name by associating him with Trump— Trump has that sort of, yeah, I'm a crazy animal energy. And I think a lot of his supporters are simply responding to that. They don't understand the ideas. They don't even care at the end of the day because they've probably, uh, you know, they got their jobs and their baseball hats and their, you know, superstitions and uh, misapprehensions about uh, minorities and immigration policy. They just like the show. They like the show and they like the the celebrity worship, and that's definitely a susceptibility that the American public has frequently been <laughs> susceptible to is, is celebrity worship. I, I don't know what else to call Trump. Uh, I find his policy combination somewhat incoherent. I don't think he's thought out a lot of his positions clearly. It was even strange today to hear him announce that he's going to issue a list of his, quote, foreign policy advisors, as well as his list of Supreme Court uh, potential nominees that he's going to have Jim DeMint of the Heritage Foundation vet for us. Well, now. So he's decided to jump into the water uh, headfirst into the shallow end. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen to his hairdo. Imagine a Trump cabinet. But it's... uh, (laughs) Well, <laughs> it better be a lot of yes men, <laughs> because I think that's what it would uh, have to be uh, entirely made up of. They're not gonna, they're not gonna have, uh, they're not gonna have much sway with the Donald. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Mick Jagger because the Rolling Stones are apparently giving a concert in Cuba later this week. Oh, that's cool. Sort of in. The spirit of Barack Obama being in Cuba. Uh, the first standing president in 90 years? Yeah, Calvin Coolidge. I don't know if he got down there in a... Uh, on a battleship. Yeah. Is uh, how he got there. Uh, airplanes were were not terribly reliable. Three days by battleship. 
current Obama must, flew there in three hours. It must have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, you would. Um, I guess from Washington it might take three hours because Cuba is not that far from Florida. But anyway, um, it's you know I think this is a, an example of Barack Obama is still doing his job. Yeah. He is still trying to make some changes for the better. I, I there's no question that the Cuban American foreign policy has been a monumental failure for all kinds of reasons. And uh, it's cool that they're using a baseball event to uh, sort of publicize some good feelings and that kind of thing. Uh, There's clearly some one-on-one negotiations that are going on. And uh, it's sad to say this, but Barack Obama is safer in Cuba on the streets than he is in the United States of America. Uh, for a bunch of reasons, guns only being one of them. I mean, he might get confronted with a couple of cigars. Well, is he still smoking? Uh, probably not, but Bill Clinton is probably... <laughs> Bring me back a couple. <laughs> he might not be on the guest list at the moment. <laughs> Uh, we won't go into the reference to Bill Clinton and cigars. You'll have to look that up in the history books. Uh, speaking, by the way, of Cuba policy, uh, just a friendly reminder or just a, an observation that I noticed that William Schapp, a radical lawyer and critic of the CIA, died recently. And he was the uh, one of the original founders of the Covert Action Information Bulletin that later became the Covert Action Quarterly, a very relevant publication that forced the government to release numerous documents through FOIA regarding the shenanigans of the CIA. And Covert Action had many, many articles about uh, the uh, United States' covert destabilization of Cuba, including the use of mosquitoes, dengue fever, uh, some other very swine fever, swine flu. Yeah, some very questionable uh, tactics by your friends, the CIA. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to mention uh, he passed away. Saw this obituary on the fifth of uh, March. I think that journal started in the mid to late seventies, and uh, uh, there. Uh, Reporting through the Reagan era was really essential reading if you wanted to know what the mainstream newspapers were unwilling or unable uh, to scour out uh, from the true facts of the uh, foreign policy shenanigans indeed is uh, too whimsical a word for the uh, kinds of atrocities that the CIA was routinely engaged in throughout the 80s in uh, Central and South America, the Middle East, Africa. Where weren't they? Uh, <laughs> sure. And, of course, what he said, and I'll just quote this, said, we do not object to intelligence gathering. We object to the covert interference in the affairs of other nations, the refusal to let the people of those nations decide for themselves upon their leaders, their systems of government, in the forms of institutions that they desire. That's what they were involved in, really exposing um, 
somewhat dubious covert action. And there is a big difference between collecting um, data, information, that sort of thing, versus destabilization, uh, the use of germ warfare. Um, and uh, Yeah, I mean, you need to know what's going on. And, and since the beginning of history, there have been scouts and spies to make sure, what are they doing over there? Are they coming up after us? No, sure. okay, it's cool. Uh, keep an eye out, though. You always got to keep an eye out. Uh, but, yeah, as you say, the difference between keeping an eye out, which is the purpose of intelligence gathering, and the uh, actual manipulation through chicanery, fraud, and let's not forget how much the U.S. taxpayers were billed for these destabilize. How much did it cost us to destabilize Chile? Well, and in fact, one of the outrageous things about the Reagan administration— And what do we get from it? Yeah, the Reagan administration in particular was they targeted uh, this publication— uh, heavily. Mm -hmm. And one of the other big issues during the Reagan administration was the incredible growth of the so-called black budget. Uh, this, of course, is unconstitutional on its face. Um, the even existence of a, quote, black budget that, that is allowed to be seen by not even congressmen. It's outrageous. And when you hear people throwing around the Constitution, I'm a constitutionalist, like Ted Cruz does, uh, look under the covers a little further. Donald Trump won't be there. <laughs> but he might be. <laughs> Crawling. Creeping. Crawling. Creeping. We are out of time. We would like to thank the Valiz for being a guest engineer this evening for the Reverend Andrew. So do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next right here on WCBN-FM and Arbor. And congrats to everybody involved with uh, another successful uh, Ann Arbor Film Festival. The 54th concluded yesterday. I'll talk at some point in the future when the DVDs become available of the, uh, for me, the uh, striking documentary work of this year's festival. Uh, outstanding film about the prison system in the United States that I consider to be must-see TV for every living American. Uh, but that'll have to come later. Cool. Now for the blues. Every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., WCBN presents American Vernacular, a program dedicated to original performances of homemade music. From the parlors, kitchens, and backyards in communities across the country, displaying an incredible variety of regional styles. Vocal